Hey, this is Dwayne Larson, and welcome to It's a Music Thing, a podcast about, well, you guessed it, music. Each week, I'll try to bring you new stories from artists and other people in the music industry. I want to make this podcast one of your go-to music podcasts. There are a few ways you can help me make this happen. Go subscribe on iTunes, and if you feel so inclined, rate us. Also, tell your friends about It's a Music Thing. Nothing like word-of-mouth advertising. That goes a long, long way. Also, check out and follow our social media pages. It's a Music Thing MB on Instagram. Uh, on Facebook, it's It's a Music Thing. The website is It's a Music Thing.com. Also, if you f- want to, drop me a line at It's a Music Thing mb at gmail.ca if you have a show idea or would like to be interviewed or heck maybe you even know someone that wants to be interviewed all right enough of my droning on and on let's get on with the show back to it's a music thing the podcast i am your host Dwayne larson and on today's show i'm super stoked it's i've known this guy for a really long time uh i released one of his first band's albums maybe not his first band you'll hear in the interview we we go through his whole thing um but i get a chance to talk to my buddy mike fro and if you don't know who mike fro is he uh he was in a band called away from here which was one of the first one of the first uh releases i did on it's a music thing way way back in the day uh they're from or they were from weyburn saskatchewan and then he went and uh, a few other buddies went and formed the holly springs disaster which went out to do amazing amazing things and now he is doing some really great solo stuff i mean mike's always been a super creative super nice guy and it's it's good to see he is, he's kind of back on his feet. He's going in the right direction. Uh, this, this whole conversation spans, oh, it spans years. It spans, um, we talk about uh, him uh, moving to Toronto, uh, going through some addiction stuff. Uh, still, still on, on battling with it because it's, it's an everyday battle, but he is, he's back making music again. And for all the right reasons, it's yeah it's really good it's good to see him doing so good and you know it's it's it was great to catch up with him i hadn't spoken to him in years i had seen him i can't even remember last time i even saw mike it's 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 been a while but yeah all all the guys from the holly springs or the holly springs all the guys from away from here were and so are super great guys uh but it was great to, to to get a chance to talk to mike and see kind of you know see because I, I released his record but I didn't really know you know where he came from how what he went through all that kind of stuff and especially after um away from here broke up and kind of stopped doing it and I stopped doing the label and doing shows really we just kind of didn't didn't see each other didn't talk to each other that much so it was great to catch up and I hope I know he's got a lot of fans and a lot of people that love him so I hope everybody enjoys this interview I enjoyed doing it and here's my conversation with Mike Fro. All right, I guess first and foremost, uh, who am I talking to today? Uh, it's Mike Fro here, uh, musician. Musician, 
and healthcare worker now. and healthcare worker on the front lines, which we appreciate very, very much. I always try to say in my podcast, anybody working on the front lines, whether it's a healthcare worker, um, to you know, nurses, doctors, that guy that's mopping up in the hospitals. I mean, a big thank you to all of you guys, all of you people, for for doing that because you're making shit go right now. And all the uh, like the grocery store. Yes, and the grocery. Yep, a hundred percent. Yeah, man. There's lots of people that are out there, but yeah. But yeah, we're. There, man. How you but doing? I'm I'm good. You know, it's 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 a weird time. I'm I'm getting a a chance to reconnect with some old friends, which has been great. You included. Um, I haven't talked to you in years and years and years um, and meeting some new ones. And yeah, it's been good for my podcast because I've had a chance to talk to people that I might not get a chance to talk to because everyone kind of has downtime. So um, what I'd like to do when I, when I get a chance to talk to you, especially when it's a single musician, not like a group or a band or anything is I kind of like doing a deep dive. I like, going i always like to call it my way back machine and the way i like to kind of start that out with is do you remember being a little mike fro and the first time you heard music that wasn't like a lullaby or something like that and how that impacted you yeah i have a few different memories from way back when one of them though is i think it's um like it's a home video that I I've seen. So it's like, is it a real memory or is it just a video memory? Mm -hmm. But, um, I remember when I was, I don't know, I probably would have been like three or four. It's one of my first memories in life was, um, we would come home from church on Sundays and my parents would put on like, uh, a Beatles record or they would put on like a John Mellencamp record or uh, like oh, what was another one they'd always listen just random 80s records they would throw on and lots of retro stuff from back in the day mm-hmm. and we would have like dance parties in the living room oh nice and that's like from a very young age like I think even in the videos, it was like apparent that I loved music. I'd always grab stuff and start playing the drums and like pretending I was performing. Yeah. So that was little. And then I remember um, I, I was uh, like obsessed with um, the wedge and like much music and, and all the alternative like um, silver chair Nirvana mm-hmm. Soundgarden. And that would have been probably grade three or four. So I remember just like going to like that was when I began going to record stores and buying cassettes on my own. Yeah, it's crazy because like three grade three or four sounds so young, but growing up in a small town, like you kind of had freedom at that age. Yeah, because like, it's, it's what you had to do. As exactly. Well. Yeah, I mean we we were always like out and about on our bikes, and you know parents were like, "Yeah, go to the movie store and get this." While I would just like. I think I had a paper route, so I'd save up my money from the paper route and then go to the record store and buy. Like my first tape was Green Day Dookie. You, I remember you, that? You you just you just took the question right out of my mouth. I was going to be like, do you remember that first tape that you picked up? One hundred percent. Well, I remember the first tape I bought. That was Green Day Dookie. Yeah. And I remember the first tape my parents bought me um, was Elvis Presley Greatest Hits. Oh wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So both were, and I was like. Yeah, I think I was grade three when I bought or whatever. I got to look. I 
I think I, it would have been whatever year Dookie came out. So 94. 94, yeah. So I'd have been eight. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Great influence. That's so awesome. Yeah, that's amazing. Because that, that was kind of my, as well, my introduction into, I guess if you want to call it punk rock, which I stayed the course on up till now, including and can't see it stopping. But that, that record for so many people was so influ- influential. And then I don't know if you did the same thing I did, but I was definitely one of those kids that like actually read the liner notes and then like looked at who the bands thanked and was like, oh, well, let's check these guys out. And then you just go down that whole rabbit hole. Oh, 100 percent. I went down an even crazier rabbit hole. You're, you won't even believe this. Um, I can't remember. if it's, I think it's Kerplunk. So I ended up buying like every. Yeah, it was Kerplunk. I bought every Green Day record I could get probably. But like by the time Insomniac came out, I'd gotten all the old stuff. Mm-hmm. And in one of them, they had uh, like a fan fan mail address. And I I got I mailed them. And dude, I had I had because I can't find it anymore. I got a reply back and an autographed picture from Billy Joe and the whole band. Oh man, he actually, dude, he answered oh. my questions in a freaking like it was printed out, but yeah, yeah, he answered my question. I asked him if his band, if Green Day was influenced by Stray Cats. Like I don't know if you're <laughs> right, like because there's a, there's even like I didn't realize I was almost calling them out for like copyright infringement. Yeah. But, and he admitted to it, he was like, I love uh, Stray Cats and everything Brian, Brian Setzer, right? Mm-hmm. That's who's from, yeah. Yeah. And he responded to it, dude, and oh god, uh, maybe my mom still has that. That That's one of those treasures that you, you, you hope that somehow got left behind at, like, mom and dad's house, and they haven't thrown it out because... Yeah, I know. I've got. I've had so much shit that it's like it just all of a sudden. I'm like, I had that, and then I never get a chance to see it, and it just disappears. And it's like, man, that would have been so cool for like old man Dwayne to keep on to hold on to. Oh God, I'd have it framed now if I still had it. Yeah, you know, in my possession. Yeah, it's funny. The old, the farther you get away from things, the more they mean to you. Yeah, exactly. So, when did you start playing music? So, like you said, you grew up in a small town. So, um. Your parents, you know, coming home from church, you're you're listening to music. It sounded like you had a very musical household with your parents playing music all the time. When did you actually pick up your first instrument? Oh, uh, I think about five. Like we we were a piano household, so yep. we all did piano lessons. Um, so yeah, I think I, like right around when I started school, I started taking piano lessons, and. Um, I was always in like the church choir or if there was anything extracurricular with the school, I was always in the choir too or all that stuff. So yeah, very young, like five years old. And can can you remember going to your first show, like an actual show concert, whatever it may have been? Oh yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, It was with my, it was for my birthday in grade seven, I think, grade seven or eight. Um, I, my girlfriend at the time, which is such a cute, I think back to it, what a thoughtful gift she got. Um, she got us tickets 
and her mom drove us to it was Biff Naked um Oh my God, Biff Naked, Swollen Members, Project Wise, <laughs> something like that. Like, yeah, it was yeah. This really weird Cana- all Canadian lineup. Was it? Um, was that at the like the U of R, like the Riddell Center? Mm. Or was it? Was it in Regina? It may have been. What I, I, I what I remember it being is in the basement of the Center of the Arts. Oh, okay. But. Hmm. It could that could like because that's where I remember seeing Poison the Well and AFI. Mm-hmm. It was either there or the big room at the university. It was one or the other. Yeah, because I think I, I mean I know I've seen all those bands too, but I don't know if I would have. Yeah, I was just trying to think. I'm like, was I at Mike Froze like first show? You probably it was I, in Regina. I probably you were was probably in Estevan at the or in Bean Fade at that time. Yeah, because I I went up to Regina. It seemed like every single week to go to shows because there was nothing else going on. <clears throat> yeah, and there was actually a good local scene back then too to keep you busy on the off weekends from the big shows. So when you so you started playing kind of uh, piano at five, and for like anybody that doesn't know, you grew up in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, which is right close to where I was. I always say my formative years were in Estevan. Um, when did you start your first band and which, and like what, what, what was the name of your first band? And when did you start that? Oh, I think it was the name of the band was happy camper. Okay. I, w- I wasn't sure if that was the first one or not. Yeah, that was the first one. I think it was grade seven or eight. Oh, wow. Yeah, we were in junior high. I know that. And um, we were so lucky, like, um, just being in the small town. And, like, I was also blessed to have a mother that was a teacher. So I kind of had this this connection to the the schools and a little, little bit of added trust. Um, so when I was in grade 8, our, our band teacher actually gave me access to the band room um, – we had a band room in our junior high where there was like a drum set and there was a guitar amp in there. Mm-hmm. And he get, allowed us to have band practice there after school. Like every day they weren't having honor jazz band. And uh, yeah, I started like, I started auditioning my friends and just like, <laughs> I was auditioning for a singer. Okay. That was the funniest part yeah. about it. I, I was planning on being the guitar player. And um, I had my best friend, Kaylin, which I think you know Kaylin, yep. right? Yep. Yeah. Um, he was already playing bass. Yeah, so this is grade eight. It's all becoming clearer now because we were in the same homeroom together. And Preston was playing the drums already because we were all buddies and we were in the jazz band together. Um, and I was the drummer in the jazz band as well, but I was like telling them that I played punk music and i played a guitar and i was really good and all this stuff but i really wasn't that good and um yeah so we were auditioning people to be the singer and nobody could really do it or they would come and do it and then they would just not show up anymore Mm -hmm. so then i started singing and that was the start of happy camper and i don't remember in happy camper because i know i saw you guys a couple times um did you did you play guitar and sing or would, were you just strictly singing? I played guitar and I sang. Okay. So when did you get yeah. a little more serious into guitar? Oh. Like, would that be like grade I five guess... or grade four or five was yeah. when I like really picked it up to 
and took lessons and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, I mean, I became, I was obsessed with music. Like as soon as I found something, I became obsessed with it. So grade four and five, I found punk rock and I picked up the guitar and started writing and like, it was, there was no delay for me. It was as soon as I found it, I knew I loved it more than anything. So, um, but I don't think I, I've never been good at guitar. That's why I never really have the better I've got at like writing music and performing music, the more I realize that I shouldn't probably play guitar in a band. And so with, with happy camper, how did you guys kind of start out? Cause I know every band, especially, I mean, that age would have been, I'm not, what year, what year would that have been? Like 98? Nine more like ninety nine. Ninety nine. I mean, yeah, obviously, two thousand ish. I guess because for people that don't know who what Happy Camper sounded like, I if I can remember correctly, it's so long ago. But you're very poppy, very punky. So obviously, you saw the uh, the Green Day influences, the Blink influences. Did you guys start out like just kind of covering that and then slowly morphing into writing your own music, or was it all originals, kind of right off the hop? Um, a little bit of both. Um, we started off as like a group and we, we were just playing together. We, we were playing like, Oh God, I remember playing a serial Joe cover and a blink. (laughs) Yeah. Blink 182 cover, a green day cover, a lit cover. So yeah, lots of covers. Yep. But at the same time, like right off the, the hop, even because what we started doing was Battle of the Bands. That was the big thing back then. Yeah. Um, by grade nine, we were entering Battle of the Bands, and we would probably do, let's say they said do three songs, we would do two covers and a real one. Mm-hmm. Or, uh, uh, sorry, not a real one, uh, original. Original. One. So early on, I already was, I wrote, wrote songs from like grade six or seven on, um, on my own kind of spare time. I just, I, I liked doing that before I really knew before I knew how to do it. I mm-hmm. liked doing it. Um, so yeah, it was very pop punk and it was, it would, we would usually play a green day and a blink 182 cover at the battle of the bands. And that was how we, that was actually how we kind of like developed some connections early on that actually stuck with me all the way to this day. I still, I still work with one of the individuals that I met when I was in grade nine at a battle of the bands. Oh, nice. You yeah. know, Tasmer. from. Oh Regina. yeah. 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 I know. I know Chris. I met him at, it was, they used to do a provincial battle of the bands. It was like put on by Sask music mm-hmm. and we won it when we were just little shits. We were like grade nine or 10. And did happy camper ever, I, you guys had a demo, didn't you? Yeah. We had a, we had a three song or maybe even a five song demo that we recorded in grade nine or ten yeah because i remember it was it did well in our little town i think we sold like a couple hundred copies of it in our high school yeah i remember i remember that one kicking around because i think you had gave it to me in between happy camper and away from here I think I probably like sent it to you as like a demo. Listen yeah. to my band. We're going to be <laughs> away from here now. We played with filmmaker. Yeah. I like, like I, I think I, I th- that's one of those things too. I'm like, I think I have it maybe somewhere hiding, but I, I can't remember for the life of me. So then 
I know my mom has it. <laughs> <laughs> Moms have everything because they're amazing. And yeah. so after Happy Camper, you guys kind of that kind of I mean, kind of fizzles out, but morphs into a new thing because you guys then became away from here, which yeah. was a complete kind of 180 on what Happy Camper was. And how did how did away from here kind of why why the decision not to go the happy camper route and go more whatever you want to call it like screamo emo whatever well so the name change actually came about because um one of our songs did okay on mp3.com if mm-hmm. you remember that yep and then a band from Las Vegas reached out to us and we're like, hey guys, great song, but just so you know, our name's Happy Camper and we're like signed to a big label and stuff, so you guys should probably change your name. They were super <laughs> nice about it, yeah, I remember yeah. that. They were so nice, because we were, we were obviously like kids in our profile picture, so they could tell. Yeah, and it's um, definitely so not, that was, it wasn't in the time right. where you could like just, now you just Google something and a million things pop up. Yeah, exactly. I think, honestly, I don't think we knew there was another band until they messaged us and told us. Mm. It was, which is so funny. Like, it was such early on internet days that it was just like, oh, this, because I think Happy Camper was like signed to a decent sized label, the one from the States, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly. But yeah, so that was why we changed the name. And then the sound, honestly, it was just... It was just the sound of the times. Yep. You know, I remember, like, well, Filmmaker was kind of like the only indie emo band um, in Southern Sass that was really like, they were kind of big. Like, they were yeah. doing big, big things for for us local people. Um, and I just remember, especially in Regina, like, um, even with Happy Camper, by the end of it, we were we were able to get ourselves on to pretty, pretty like large size shows. Looking back onto it, 250, 350 cap venues packed and we'd be opening, but we noticed that like, you know, in Regina, the crowds would go crazy for filmmaker. And then they would go crazy for like, I remember them going crazy for indignance and like, um, different bands that were really incorporating hardcore and screaming into their, sets and i i just kind of went down that rabbit hole and started listening to like thursday and taking back sunday and um i just got emo man yeah i got emo that's what happened everybody does it that's i mean it's just what happens pretty much all of us do you either go one way or the other like you know, Kalen's a good example from Happy Camper away from here. He went the other way. He yep. just went like straight up hardcore punk. And I think you more went punk along the years where I went the emo hardcore. Yeah, I'm, I am I kind of like my my first love. I mean, I love pop punk. There's yeah. there, like the popier, the better. Like early Green Day is amazing. And like I to this day, Green Day is still one of my favorite bands. But I'm kind of. I go all over the place. I mean, punk rock will always be my love, but I mean, certain hardcore I love, um, like the emo stuff back in the day, like Thursday was great. Thrice, the early stuff. 
I, oh, I, yeah. I, I couldn't deal. I can't deal with the new stuff that much. I've, I've tried to go back and listen and give the, the newer, like within the last 10 years kind of stuff a go. And I'm like, I just, you can't do it. Eh? I, it just doesn't hit me. It, it's great. It's for what it is. It is phenomenal, but it just doesn't hit me the way like identity crisis just fucking kicked you in the balls. And it's like, Whoa, where did this come from? Yeah. You know, I've got a, I've got a strong love for a few of um, the newer projects by Thrice, but mm. it's more, it's, it's never been like a whole album that I like. There's a few songs that like they did those, the elements EPs yep. where it was all different. And there's like a song on each one of those EPs that like I can still listen to now. And they, I'm going to listen to it after I get off the phone with you. Cause yep. I'm thinking about it. Like I fell in love with, certain songs that they've written in the past 10 years more than any single song that they released earlier in their career but those albums earlier in their career they were essential yeah 100 percent. you know so i get what you mean and if i think the reason i love the new stuff so much is because it um it speaks to me as like a producer Mm -hmm. um more than a a fan of music It, it speaks to me as like a uh a critic of music or like a yeah more of a critical sense where i'm like this is perfect this is perfectly written it's less to do with like i don't even know how to explain it yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's my, kind, my it's, producer side coming out it's kind of like they're just not like slamming down power chords there's a little more thought and a little more energy put into it rather than just banging out that three minute like hard song which nothing wrong with but everybody's got to grow as as kind of where we're going through your career. We're definitely seeing, you know, from pop punk to away from here to coming into the future or the, the present. The sounds have changed drastically, dramatically. And it always seems like you're constantly growing and striving for that something a little different. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a blessing and a curse. It keeps me very interested and I'm always I'm always looking to learn and try new techniques and 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 new things, but um I mean, looking back on it, it's probably held me back from um having any one project like launch me onto any sort of like mainstream success because I've mm-hmm. just been all over the place. I've got I've I got a weird, like, I've got a really loyal, small fan base that has just followed me all around these. I've done, like, man, I've done so many different genres over the years. I think this past year, though, is, is I finally found my my stride and my voice with something that I can kind of keep up where um, I'm just confident in enough of, of what I've done in the past to to be able to embrace it and tap into it a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, yeah, this year I put out, like, a, a heavy record, a pop-punk record, an a, a auto-tune record, uh, and then some more expansive, just, like, new technique records. And they're all doing okay in their different way. But I think... That's the formula that I'm going to continue to use. Not give up on old sounds. Keep them evolving, but just put out tons of music. Yeah, because, like, I mean, 
even looking at kind of my list that I have of, I didn't do that much research on you because I've known you for so long that I've seen, I've seen the evolution and seen kind of how you've continued to do your work. And with away from here, um, and I know I've talked about it on past podcasts that I, I put that out on um, Lonely Tree Records did really well for how big our label, my label was. It did hands down the best selling one, best selling band on the, the the label. And what what kind of brought the the end to to that to to away from here? Hmm. It's weird. Like I, so funny. I like Kalen texted me today, and he had a dream about us like playing shows and stuff last mm-hmm. night. And then we're sitting here talking about this today. It's so weird. Um, what happened? Let's see. What I remember happening was, uh, yeah, that there was some success there for a little bit, and it was like right around when we were graduating from high school. So we were still. We were kids, man. Yep. Um, and then we did the warp tour, um, and found. I mean, once again, we we had moderate success, um, and made I made lifelong friends on that tour that I've been able to tap into all the way until, still to this day, um, connections we made on that. But what happened was, um. I think five individuals realized whether or not they wanted to do this full time or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the end we, we added musicians and, and got rid of people to keep it going. Um, and at the end of, of away from here, it was basically me and um, our most recent guitar player, Matty O'Connell. Mm-hmm that were willing to like continue doing music, but he had already moved on to a different project. And, you know, I was kind of stuck to like, okay, am I going to hire four new guys to keep doing away from here? Or do I just start a new band? And yeah, I just, I put the kibosh on it. You know, I didn't want to keep doing it. It's the same reason why I haven't brought back Holly Springs with, without the original members. Cause I just, I don't like that. I don't like when singers, they're just like, okay, well, if these guys don't want to do it with me, I'm going to keep doing it with these guys. Like, I just yeah. think that looks, I don't like how that looks. So it, I've never done that. And sometimes it kind of turns into, at that point, you're like a legacy act. Yes. It's like, you're not, you're not putting out new music. You're not continuing to be relevant. As in, you know, you're not making new stuff. So it's like, you're just going to play the old stuff. And how long can you do that and be happy with yourselves? exactly and so after away from here um you jump head i don't know well i don't know if you jumped head first into the holly springs but how did how did the holly springs kind of because you did something right in between that i remember um there was a show in weyburn and around this time you guys were starting or you or someone in weyburn was starting to do shows and i remember the show you opened up yourself as uh dear solace and mm-hmm. that's kind of where I heard the electronic side of Mike kind of coming in, kind of more more prevalent. Um, so what kind of happened in between your downtime, like away from here, kind of you, you put the kibosh on that. Mm-hmm. And then 
how did the Holly Springs and what did you do in the meantime? How did that all come about? Um, God, should I be honest? Yeah, totally. Tell, tell the music story. Like really, I, yeah, I started doing away or sorry, sorry. I started doing Dear Solace and I was playing shows. Um, I was living recklessly. <laughs> um, and like, yeah, I think, what was I like? 19 turning 20 yep um i was working at a restaurant and like got into fucking drugs and drinking and um it was like i played a show on a weekend as dear solace um actually with jesse from misery signals we did a show together in regina and um at that show josh um from at that time short story um, they had just broken up too. So he approached me and was like, Hey man, like your dear solace stuff is awesome. If you want to do a band ever again, we should sit down and write together. Um, and like literally a week after that, I, I just like got out of control and, um, I ended up going to like a rehabilitation center for my shit. And the only, it was so funny. Cause like, it's in situations like that where you really you learn who your true homies are. And mm-hmm. Josh, Josh, um, you know, like he he kept in contact with me and right at like, I mean, that was also the defining moment for away from here in a sense. We were already broken up, but that was also the time when like my friendship ended with a lot of those guys. I'm still friends with Kalen. I'm still, I mean, I'm still friends with all of them, but it really hurt all of them the way yeah. I was treating treating people at that point in my life so um but josh kind of hung in there and was like dude let's write you you got some shit you can write about now like for sure let's sit down and write these songs so that is actually how holly springs started um josh coming to my house in weyburn and sitting down with me in the basement and being the first person who'd seen me after getting out of rehab and um and that's where I, you know, probably 80% of what you hear, because Holly Springs Disaster only released one album. Mm-hmm. I'd say 80% of that was written in my basement with just me and Josh sitting there getting all this shit out of us. And then we, uh, we got a band together and boom, boom. And Holly Springs, I mean, from, again, the kind of the outside looking in would be arguably probably one of the bigger projects to date that you've like it it seemed all-encompassing it seemed like you guys were super busy with it oh yeah for a while there we for sure it was it was a full-time job and um and so kind of with that mindset like you knew you already knew kind of what um what was in store being in a band full-time having just got out of rehab and you know You've just poured your 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 heart out into this album. What were you kind of apprehensive to to jump into like touring full time? No, I was still young and reckless. <laughs> yeah, um, no, that's the funny thing. Like looking back on it, yeah, I really should have been, but mm-hmm. that took me another decade to to learn that lesson. Yeah, because I was gonna um, say Holly Springs is very. It was very a lot of the music. I mean, revolved around drug use, partying, mm-hmm. and like, which 
everybody goes through and hopefully like people can like yourself can self-realize that and you know learn to cut it out or control it yeah i mean that's best case scenario mm-hmm. um yeah i mean that's a whole other discussion of you know the whole yeah like i mean a lot of those songs were written with with pain in my heart mm-hmm. um the the idea of the band was very much party and and yeah use drugs and alcohol um to have a good time and that was definitely what our shows were about too but i think especially um if people can can look back on those songs and sit down with with the lyrics and um and don't picture it as a concert just picture those as words coming out of somebody's somebody's thoughts and and they're pretty apparent that it was you know it was a lot less about partying and a lot more about commenting on my pain and the struggle that I saw in myself and people around me and um what what was kind of taken as glorifying partying which Mm -hmm. it was we we did we glorified it yeah um in reality and i didn't know this as a young man but like all those words and and the glorification of it all was was um it it was a band-aid i was covering up a lot of internal pain did that ever like no like knowing that and or not knowing that i guess but i mean you obviously wrote these songs and they come from a, a place of pain or darkness did that ever piss you off that maybe not piss you off, but like annoy you that people weren't kind of like really reading into the, the lyrics and someone didn't be like, are, are you okay? Like, are you good? Um, yes, it did. Um, and that was, that was actually, yeah. Like while it was going on, um, no, I kind of got wrapped up into the whole, the whole, uh, I don't know, the whole monster of the whole, like being addicted, but being a part of an industry that feeds into addiction mm-hmm. and, and all that stuff. And, you know, it was, I don't know. Um, what I remember very clearly is um, after I left that band, looking back on it and just being like damn like nobody saw this as a cry for help everybody saw it as as me you know glorifying this this pain but like all i you know i we've talked about this many times with my guys from holly springs which who are all my close friends again and and still to this day I just wish any of us could have been mature enough at that point in our lives to say like, Hey man, like why? Cause we were partying, but we were fighting too. Yeah. And I just, if any of us could have been mature enough where we could have had a, a manager that was strong enough, strong willed enough to say like, okay guys, there's some mental health issues going on here. Like, why are you partying every day? Why are you fighting every day? Um, and I mean, that was also during a time where like mental health issues weren't really talked about as publicly no. and as open as they are now. 
Yeah, like quite the opposite. Um, and with with that, like I had a song on that on our album. I feel like I'm taking crazy pills, which is a line from, uh, Z- not Z- yeah, Zoolander, mm-hmm. um, which is just a commentary on the on the idea at about that time in our lives in about 2004 if someone was on antidepressants they were taking crazy pills yeah um you know and and with someone that was struggling with mental health they were they were crazy and it's that i just you know now like i work i work in with people i work in mental health um sometimes and mm. now that i know and i i you know, I'm someone who has struggled with depression and in reality, that's what fed into the addiction. So yeah, there was a, there was a, there's been off and on times in my life where I have resentment towards, um, what those songs meant to other people versus what they meant to me and blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. once again, this past year, it's come full circle for me because I've gotten clean. I've been nearly a year since I've done anything um, alcohol or drug related. And in that year, I've had more people than ever reach out to me about Holly Springs lyrics and, and my personal like solo song lyrics. And they're the same lyrics, but now people are reaching out to me in the, the way that like this used to be my anthem, man. And like I, I still listen to this all the time. I'm trying to get clean and sober. Is there anything you can give me as advice? And it's like, it's made this full, it's okay now. I'm okay that people got the wrong impression out of it because I was giving the wrong impression. Yeah, because you you were living what you were, you know. Yeah. Singing about. I was living what I was singing. Yeah. And because I'm so fucking happy when I'm on stage and I'm having such a great time, it's hard to distinguish pain between pleasure. Mm-hmm. And really, there is no difference when you're an addict. Your pain becomes your pleasure. Yeah. So and with with that kind of album under your belt, does that change how you look at other people's music now? Like, do you do you do you take 100%. do you take the time to like really read into it and be like, oh shit? Oh yes. <laughs> and you know what? Like, probably too much. It it like breaks my heart because I keep. I keep seeing, like, I listen to all sorts of different kinds of music, but I, I listen to lots of hip-hop, and I keep seeing these young artists that, like, months before they pass away, I'm like, dude, this kid's going to overdose. This mm. kid's going to die. I can hear it in the music, and mm-hmm. nobody else, nobody sees it. You know, like, Juice World was the last one. He's the rapper from Chicago, and I remember hearing one song I listened to, and the lyrics just, like, shook me. I was like, oh, fuck, like, there's a difference between I now know the difference between someone rapping or singing because there's a difference in punk rock too. Like yeah. there's the no there's the no effects way of talking about your fucked upness, <laughs> which, which is, is like is like the Doug. St- if you're familiar with comedy, it's like the Doug Stanhope version where it's like, yeah, Fat Mike is fucking crazy, but he's also like he loves and lives that craziness and it's as healthy as he can be. <laughs> yeah. Like the, and, and there's no, there's no metaphors. There's no, he's not hiding behind words. It's like, Nope. This shit. Like, did you, have you listened to the new Koki the clown album? Yeah, man. I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm polarized on that album because I, I really enjoy it. 
but I have to not be in a bummer mood because it'll just bum me out more. But just hearing, I like the rawness of it. I like the, just the pure honesty of it. Oh yeah. It, is it the best kind of no effects album? I mean, at the end of the day, it, it, it's a no effects album kind of, but it's, it's, it, it's a good album. It's just, you've got to be in that right mind space to listen to it. Yeah. Oh man. I think with any of the, I guess you'd call them left turns that, that fat Mike has done with his different projects over the years and different alter ego things. Like he's always remained true to, um, well, fuck to punk rock. Yeah like at the end of the day but so there's those examples though and then there's there's other people like i remember under oath um people you know almost like shitting on them from being a christian band or or just hearing those lyrics and thinking like oh that's that's just them trying to write emo lyrics as a christian band and i'm sitting there looking at it like hmm pretty sure there's actually some pain going on in spencer's life here for him to be writing it and singing like that and and in the end looking the way he was and sure as shit he was struggling with addiction and mental health problems yeah you know there's that difference where it's like some people can live that lifestyle and they can be punk and they can party and it doesn't completely ruin their lives like i think fat mike is probably an okay parent in reality it seems like he's raising his kids okay yeah he's got his i think he's or no maybe he's divorced now i don't know what's going on there it doesn't matter divorce <laughs> doesn't make i'm divorced divorce doesn't make or break a good person nope um but yeah there's that difference like i'm just that difference i'm the other side where like i can't i'm not i'm never having fun with it and at the end of the day that was the difference with me. Like, sure, I could party and have have drinks and maybe do drugs with other people, but usually it was when everybody went home, and then I just continued, and that yeah. was when it gets. That's when it gets dark. And yeah, that's also when you write some fucking like it, music that will change people's lives because that's the one thing about that Holly Springs record. It changed my life, but it also. Changed a lot of people's lives. I've had lots of people reach out to me that say things that I just can't believe that album did for them, good and bad, you know? Yeah, and it's also, I mean, it's crazy to see how, like, how, it, it's almost like a, a a cult underground record to find, because, like, the actual vinyl, because I don't think, I don't know how many were pressed, but trying to find Ooh. that one online... Like, it it's expensive to track that sucker down, which oh, is yeah. which is crazy. I know, and I mean, I ki- kind of awesome to know that people still to this day care that much about something you did fifteen years ago, two thousand four. Oh yeah, sixteen yeah. years ago. F- f- well, I mean, it started fifteen years yeah. ago. Yeah, I think the album came out in two thousand seven, so thirteen years ago now. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's a pretty phenomenal track record that people still care and still love what you did. And like you said, are now coming around full circle being like, 
and asking you for help. Yeah. And so oh, now it's, I'm so lucky in that sense that I, that I made it this far to, yeah. to see the other side of it. Cause so many people don't. So now, and I, I, I noticed we, did you, cause I don't have it in front of me. Did you produce, uh, the Holly Springs or was that, uh, you're working mm. with a producer. I mean, we ne- we didn't, never had a formal producer. Um, it would have been me and Josh would have co-produced it with, um, like we worked, with, we did everything ourselves until we did our EP, which we did with an engineer in Oakland, but we never hired someone to produce it. So it was co-produced by us and that engineer. His name was Zach Oren. Um, but nothing, that's the thing. Now that I know what producing is, there was no producing done by anyone. Yeah. We wrote those songs, demoed them, brought them to the studio and banged them out in seven days. Like it was, um, yeah, it was pretty much self-produced. Um, dude, I'm just with what you were saying about like after the fact alternative press, like never gave us any coverage when we were a band, Yeah. but just this year they named us one of the top 10 Southern rock, Southern hardcore bands of all time. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's in 2020. They're, yeah. They're, we're, and it's, you know, they're like this Canadian band, they put out one album and it changed Southern rock forever. And we're like, okay, what the fuck, dude? Where was this article when we were trying to make it big? Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. That could have, I mean, also you, you think about that, that might, not have been the best thing for you you might not be here yeah in in all reality because if if things were kind of going on that trajectory who knows what shit could have went down a hundred percent dude the oh god yeah actually i've had that conversation with my mom before my mom is my biggest fan but she's also like she's a fucking grade school teacher so she's as wholesome as it gets and um she knows that that Holly Springs was like the biggest, most influential music thing I've done over the years, and she'll always support it. But she's she's also honest about it. Mm-hmm. Like um, when we, you know, when we did our our reunions and stuff, um, that was dangerous. That was dangerous because there was a lot of money at play, and there was a bunch of, you know, I'm not gonna. Sp- I shouldn't go too deep into it, but there was a bunch of people that had problems with that kind of money, myself included. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, like, fuck, if I would have had that kind of money when Holly Springs was touring full time and and I was about 23, 20, yeah, 22, 23 years old. (laughs) Yeah, probably could have died for real. Um, and I nearly did die when we did our reunion shows and our really, really close friend, he did overdose like in that same, same time frame and did pass away. Oh man. So like, I mean, yeah, I'm so lucky that I'm, I'm now 34, I'm sober and I'm able to like, I can watch all the videos and listen to all the Holly Springs songs and I just smile and maybe get a, like a happy, sad tear now Mm -hmm. Kind, yeah. of, kind of one of those things where you know blessing and a curse 100 percent. which i mean i'm very glad you're still here because you're you're you still are continuing to do some amazing work uh i caught your um well your karaoke 
Uh, you're, <laughs> we're just called the COVID karaoke because it. I love seeing creative people because now, I mean, I'm jonesing to get out to a show. I, I, it's, it's, it's killing me to not be able to see, to photograph, to see my friends live music, but like you and a bunch of other artists are putting it out there and entertaining people for free. You're not getting paid for this shit. Um, but you're continuing to do new music. Uh, I saw yeah, the new project you're working on, Not Low, just uh, you're releasing or uh, April 24th, you're releasing a new single, right? Yeah. Called Screen Time, which I have a pretty good idea what that's about. Yep. Being glued to your devices like yeah. we all are right now. Because that's, I mean, right now that's all we have. And well, sort of all we have. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. And so that is produced by you, which kind of brings me back to when we were talking about producing. When did you really get into producing music? Um, it would it would have been like right around the same time that um, Holly Springs broke up in 2009. That's when I started to take it more seriously. Um, I did, you know, I did most of my research just online and then I did some, you know, just like stopping into studios that I had worked in with the bands that I'd played with and learning from the people that I knew. Um, but it was between like 2009 and 2011 that I just kind of, well, pretty much for the most part, just stopped working with other producers and just focused on producing myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, last or two years ago, I worked with a producer again for the first time in years and I had a good experience. So now I'm kind of like, eh, I'll do it when it, when it works. And I don't know, I produce for other artists now too, which is cool. And I was going to say, have you, have you had a chance to, to work with other people? And <clears throat> yeah, I've had a few different opportunities, um, to varying degrees of success and, um, I've had to learn a few lessons. I was doing a little bit of ghostwriting um, when I was living in Toronto there, um, which at the time was great. Um, you would basically sit down with like a group of writers and you would all get paid a daily. It was just like a, a flat rate. Yeah. And well, basically you get the flat rate as long as you could write a few songs. Um, and then those songs would then go to their producer. Their producer would present them to the artist, blah, blah, blah. Well, the problem with that is when you're working in those writing conferences, you don't get any credit at the end of the day. Uh, um, so it's pretty, so I was a, I was yeah, say, so it's, it's like pretty much not time, yours. Like it's, it's, a good, it's a good paycheck for the day. It's more money than I was making like going to a day job or going to work in the film industry even it was nice but dude there was one record i worked on and like oh yeah you have usually you have to sign an nda a non-disclosure agreement yeah so there's a record that i've worked on that i'm not allowed to tell anyone <laughs> that i worked on that has gone on to get a juno nod a grammy nod oh man yeah and like i can't even talk about it so uh, i stopped doing that in 2016 
Um, and since then, I've, I've just, I work with artists, like, uh, basically from the ground up where, like, I can help them write songs, help them produce it and put it out. Mm-hmm. I still don't really take any credit, but I just do, a, like, a 50-50 split with them. Yeah, which makes sense, because, I mean, you're you're putting, you've been doing this for how many years now? It's kind of the same with photography. If people are like, oh, well, you know, it's it's, you can just do it cheap blah 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 i'm like i've been doing this for over 20 years no yeah you 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 can fuck off you can pay me what i'm worth and then we're good if you don't want to that's cool i respect that but you can you can move on to to something else and that's great well it's funny saying no sometimes brings you more business 100 (laughs) percent. like yeah that was something i had to learn that being being more firm in your convictions of like okay no i'm i don't know like this is what i'm good at and and if this person's reaching out to me to work with me like they obviously think that i'm good at this too so yep. respect respect your own worth and yeah 100%. i don't know. i think i'm i'm still pretty damn like i know when i talk to other people um i'm very much an affordable person to work with i just have always been like that but at the end of the day, I've learned probably most with the Holly Springs disaster stuff. Like, I mean, I get asked all the time, all these kind of crazy requests when it comes to Holly Springs. Mm-hmm. And that's the one where I'm just like, dude, <laughs> <laughs> you got no idea. So, um, yeah, let's just not even talk about it. Because, yeah, that's the one where I've realized how much that's worth to me and so many other people. So mm-hmm. if we're going to do it, it's got to be. It's got to be worth your time. Yeah. But it's hard, man. We all come from the punk rock mindset where we're like, well, I'll do it for free beer, dude. Like, Yeah. Or you just want to help out a buddy. Because like, yes. I, I, I know my, my biggest thing to date, photography-wise, personally, has been I got the cover of the, the Tony Sly tribute album. That's, that's, oh, that's, fuck yeah. that's my photo. I didn't get paid shit for that, that photo. I got, I got paid nothing because we, we had went, uh, me and my girlfriend had gone camping and I had sent out, um, three or four pictures cause I had done it. He came through with Dave Haas. They were playing an acoustic show at the pyramid. I got hooked up with them. I did their portraits. It took about five minutes. Each guy, it was phenomenal. And then a couple years later, he had passed away, sent them in to my, my kind of person I know at fat not right. thinking anything of it. I'm like, cool, if I get a little liner photo, whatever, that that's neat. But it turns out I got an email when I got home, and it was like, yeah, they want to use it for the cover. And I was just like, it was one of those moments where I like had to sit down and look at it and just be like, holy shit. And all the money is going to his family. So right. yeah, I, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna be like, yeah, I I, I need ten thousand dollars for this cover. No, yeah, it's like, no. it's. It means a lot to me, and yeah. So I, I get what you mean when you're when you're talking about the Holly Springs disaster stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, everything's circumstantial too. There's things that become more important than the music, and that's a great example of like Tony Sly. You just want to remember that guy as the musician he was, and that kind of photo. It's almost wrong to charge for it. Yeah. You know? And especially when he's not standing to make any money of it out of it, and Fat's exactly. not really making any money out of it. It's going to.
to his family because he he was like the breadwinner. The breadwinner. He was out, and you know, bands like that aren't rich. To make no. money, you got to tour. Yeah, that's how that oh, works. Oh man, I can't even ima- like. Yeah, I don't even like to think about how probably tour to tour bands of that nature were still mm. at that point. Like, I mean, there's that. There's a big separation between bands that are living in any sort of luxury and then there's those bands who basically tour to come home and work their job that yeah. pays their bills to tour yep and i don't know where tony sat i think he was closer to living not in luxury but closer to li- living that lifestyle but at the same time man he was a one-man show there a lot of the time yeah 100 percent. i think he he may have been the only original original guy in no use yeah, and you know what happens when with that, a lot of people don't realize. He would have probably been having to pay out um, his old band members. Yep. Like, say I wanted to go and do a Holly Springs show and, and I couldn't get the original members to play with me, I'd still have to pay them royalties from that show. Mm-hmm. Because they have, well, legally, they're entitled to profits made off of those seven songs. Yep. On so, top of paying the musicians that, to- exactly. that are coming in to do this. So so usually your bandmates are making better money than you made that night. Yeah. And they didn't even have to come. They just, <laughs> yeah. They just had to practice a few songs sometimes. and Yeah. yeah. No, I mean the bandmates. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, like, the bandmates that did it. Oh, yeah, yeah. got their payout. They usually make the best money that night. Yeah. Nothing. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, all right. I think that at the end of the day, you have to, like, we're, we're all adults, and, and especially right now with this kind of crisis going on, it becomes extremely apparent. We all need a little bit of income to sustain our lives. Mm-hmm. So there's nothing wrong with figuring out what you're worth, and, and, and whenever it's presented to you, can you do this project? It's not only are you invested in, you know, if it's if it's art, not only are you invested in the vision, but is it financially doable? Yep. So I don't know. Fuck. Took till I was mid 30s to realize that stuff. Hey, man, as, as, as long as you're figuring it out, you're good. You're happy. You're healthy. <laughs> shit. Shit. I mean, it sounds corny to say, but it's, you no, know, you're 100 percent right. It's. I, I, I know I'll never be rich. I know I'm never going to have a mansion. I'm 100% okay with that. I've, I've carved out a good living for myself. I continue to do so. I enjoy what I do. I enjoy this stuff. It doesn't pay anything, but I love doing it because, like I said off the top, it connects me with old friends. It lets me meet new people and hear new music because I'm, I'm turning into that old man that's like, oh, I don't like this new shit. I just give me that yep. old stuff. And I'm trying very hard to battle that and listen to new stuff and open my mind to new stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's it sounds cheesy to say, but you're happy, you're healthy, you got good people around you. That's all you fucking need. Happiness and health are something that you don't you don't think about until I don't know. I don't. You don't have them. Yeah, I was gonna say until it's too late. Yeah. Until one or the other starts failing on you, and then it really puts into perspective of how important those two things are. And yeah, now 
that's like what my life revolves around. I work in healthcare. I do a lot of uh, volunteer work with uh, mental health groups and with addiction services. And, um, and then when I'm not doing that, I'm at home and I'm feeding that obsession of music mm -hmm. in, in just like the healthiest way I've ever been able to do it. And, and I really, I only surround myself with, uh, with things that make me happy now. So yeah, man, it's, I, I'm blessed. I'm blessed, even though I'm, you know, a bachelor, a divorced bachelor living in a <laughs> shitty little house, working in the most vulnerable sector right now. I still love my life. Yeah. And I mean, end of the, again, end of the day, you got that. It's all you need. Um, well, Mike, I want to thank you. It's been great talking to you again. It's been so long. It should be less years in between actually speaking face to face. That's one thing this whole thing has taught me is like I need to reconnect and keep the connections I still have with people because you don't realize how much you miss people until you don't have them. 100%. And I mean, not just people passing away, but like just having a coffee, having a conversation with someone. So mm -hmm. having that connection. No, I agree wholeheartedly. Um, we shouldn't leave this be as many years as it has been between our conversations but that is the beautiful thing with music that i've noticed i can go i can go 15 years without talking to somebody and we can reconnect like it was yesterday yeah it's a beautiful connection it's the music a, industry has yep. it, and especially our our scene that we have in, mm -hmm. in, in canada it's so expansive and large but still so very very small which yeah. is what I love. So thank you. Um, new single screen time, April 24th coming out on the new, the new project, not low. All Hell the, yeah. uh, all the stuff will be in the description and thank you again so much for sitting down and talking to me. No problem, brother. I'm doing a, a live stream concert that night at 9 PM Saskatchewan time on my Facebook and my YouTube. So awesome. I'm going to play like 12 songs that night. Perfect. Well, thank, all right, brother. Thank you, and stay safe out there, bud. You, you too, man. Take care. Well, there you go. There's my conversation with Mike. Like I said off the top, it was really great to to talk to him again. It's been so long. It's really good to see him doing so well and continuing to battle with his sobriety and his addictions issues. It's I I I don't know because I've never had them, but I I've had friends that have them, and I know it is a constant battle. And it is a constant fight that is is always kind of in the background, especially when you're in the music industry and it's hard because you're when when shows are happening again and before when they were, you're you're out there. It's it's always around you. So to fall into those those old trappings is really easy. So I'm I'm super stoked that Mike's doing so well. And like I always like to do, I like to play three songs and this is going to kind of span, I guess. I don't have any Happy Camper, uh, which was um, one of Mike's first uh, punk rock bands. I might have it somewhere. I don't know. I can't. I just don't have it on my computer. So you don't get to listen to that. Um, but first off, I'm going to play one of my favorite um, Away From Here songs. And it is called Anatomy of a Broken Heart off the Anatomy of a Broken Heart record that... Uh, it, I released on it's a in yeah, I released on Lonely Tree Records back in the day, and then we're gonna play some Holly Springs disaster a song called Up in Smoke, 
And then one just released in July, I believe, on um, on Mike's YouTube channel, which you should definitely go check it out. Everything will be in the links to to go to go support him. If you can, you know, just yeah, go support anything you can. Uh, but anyway, this is a song called "Bury Me Bury Me at Sea," and yeah, it's on his YouTube channel. It's oh, Mike is so creative and so amazing, and yeah, I hope everybody's in enjoys this uh tell your friends about us you know share the link share rate us you know do all the good stuff it, it really helps us a lot it helps us more than you know and i hope everyone's being safe and hopefully we'll we'll see this show soon perfectly failing sleep is overrated as words march across an empty screen lie scream I'm scared that it is gone tonight never say those words we shared I'm scared that it's gone tonight Chill to the bones With anti-free suits on
Looking lights on paper Maybe this knife is sharper Introduce a new way A new way to suffer Please welcome now Hi, my name's your worst nightmare First step to recover Is to make sure it's over Words like rope round my neck Ensure this end is sober Second step
So I become 